Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to our Monday Thursday worship service tonight. It's good to be with you all here as we relearn the account of the Last Supper and all of the events that happened there and what that meant for Jesus going forward. It's really quite interesting because the worship on Monday Thursday, the worship on Good Friday, and the worship on Easter Sunday, they were and are originally intended to be all one service. And they're just sort of split up between three different days. And so we begin that service tonight, going into Good Friday tomorrow, and then on into our Easter morning worship on Sunday. Tomorrow night, we have a very special treat. Uh, we will be having and hosting a choral cantata here tomorrow night. Uh, it is entitled Come Walk With Me. And it follows through in song and, and through words. Uh, the final days of Jesus, beginning with his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and then uh, on through his resurrection on Easter Sunday also. I have the great opportunity to be the narrator for that, and I can tell you that the folks have been practicing for since January, Carol, and it's incredible. You've got to come. It is wonderful. And I really, really hope and pray that you all have the opportunity to come tomorrow night at 7. Um, and uh, if you're not able to make it tomorrow night at 7, they will also be having a performance at the Mark in Mount Vernon at 3, 4. At, at 4. I need to be there at 3.30. That's right. Okay. I get, I get to get all this straight. Uh, and so that, and then on Easter Sunday, we have our Easter sunrise service at 6.30 here. And then Easter breakfast served by the youth at 7.30. And then Bible class afterwards, after breakfast, starting at about quarter to nine or so. And then our Easter worship with communion beginning at 10 a.m. We've got lots of really, really neat things planned for part of that service also. For our service tonight, just a couple of notes to make you aware of. The, when we get over to the part of the catechism, that's right after the sermon, we want to put a ribbon in there in pages 326 to 327. Uh, because we will be reciting uh, two of the questions concerning the Lord's Supper that Luther has laid out in the small catechism that's in the front of your bulletin. Also, a little bit later, actually right at the very end of the service, as the elders and I and the altar guild are stripping the altar at the end of our service, all of you will be reciting together at the same time Psalm 22. The Psalms, in case you didn't know, all of them are printed in the very front part of your hymnal. So find Psalm 22 and put another ribbon there because you'll want to want to have that in front of you as you are reciting it at the end of our service. And so with all that, let's begin our time tonight with a word of prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have brought us to this Maundy Thursday. We thank you, Lord, for it, is on, it was on this day, certainly, Lord, this day that we celebrate when you gave the direction, when you gave the mandate, Lord, that we should love others just as you have loved us. And so, Lord, we pray that tonight that you would remind us of that, that you would show us that. And we know, Lord, through your Holy Spirit that you certainly will. And, Lord, as we leave here, we pray that you would help us to take that with us, that we might love one another just as you have loved us. Certainly, Lord, because you have 
loved us first, so also then we love as well. So we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. We begin with our opening hymn, Draw Near and Take the Body of the Lord, number 637, 637. The order for tonight's worship is setting one, page 151 in the Lutheran Service Book. Again, our opening hymn is Draw Near and Take the Body of the Lord, page 637. We begin our worship tonight in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. O Lord, in this wondrous sacrament, you have left us a remembrance of your passion. Grant that we may so receive the sacred mystery of your body and blood, that the fruits of your redemption may continually be manifest in us. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Our Old Testament reading for this evening is taken from Exodus, the 24th chapter. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, Everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain 
and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate and drank. This is the word of our Lord. We sing our next hymn, Your Table I Approach. That's number 628. The epistle lesson for this evening is taken from 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. The Apostle Paul writes this, Is not the cup of thanksgiving, for which we give thanks, a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. This is the word of our Lord. Be to God. We 
sing our next hymn, number 680, Thine the Amen, Thine the Praise, verses 1 through 3. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 22nd chapter. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please be seated.
all pray with me, please. Dear God, may the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Grace, mercy, and peace be yours this evening from God our Father and through the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Luther states, in no uncertain terms, that it is not our actions, our eating and drinking, but the words of Christ that are the main thing in the Lord's Supper. The words of Christ are the, are the main thing in the sacrament. The words of Christ deliver the forgiveness of sins. So if the words are the main thing, it could be asked, well, what's the big deal about whether we receive Christ's body and blood in the sacrament or not? After all, the words are the main thing. The words of Christ deliver the gifts of Christ. The reason that this is something of a conundrum is that since the Reformation, in the 16th century, this issue has been the rock upon which the unity of the Protestant churches broke apart. Whether Christ's body and blood were given and received in the sacrament was the issue that separated Lutherans from most other Protestant churches, with baptismal regeneration a close second. And it has pretty much remained so down to our present day. And so we might ask, well, why? What is the big deal? Why can't we come together in unity? After all, as long as they have the words of Jesus, aren't these the main thing in the sacrament? Don't they deliver the forgiveness of sins? You see, at the very center of this debate, at its very heart, is the gospel. Now, what is the sacrament of the altar? For that, we go back to Luther's first question. There we read, the sacrament of the altar is the body and the blood of Christ. Put another way, the words of Christ are embedded in the body and the blood of Christ. And this is in two ways. First, the words embrace the bread and wine so that it also becomes the body and blood of Christ. Second, it is the body and blood of Christ that delivers the forgiveness of sins. In other words, the body and blood of Christ imparts the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation to us. And to put it even more bluntly, no body and no blood, no forgiveness of sins in the sacrament of the altar. This is why it became so important for Luther to take away the body and the blood of Christ, to deny that the Lord's Supper is the body and blood of Christ, is to deny the very gospel itself, the very gospel that we need and upon which our lives depend. The very gospel that strengthens our faith and assures us of God's love. And so once again, this brings us back to creation, or at least the elements of creation, as the realm within which God works and through which God is present and active within our lives. From the beginning, God deals with us. He communicates with us and is present with us only in and through his creation. And from the beginning, we are able to deal with God only through our bodies, eyes, ears, mouth, brain, etc., and elements of the physical creation. And this, quite frankly, goes to the heart of the Lord's Supper, and for that matter, baptism. And just as importantly, it goes to the heart of how God interacts with us, and vice versa. The rejection of the presence of the body and blood of Christ rests upon some very 
basic assumptions. Those assumptions go something like this. First, because God is spirit. God is immaterial. And because this is the case, well then God therefore cannot have a physical body, and nothing in creation, much less a physical body, can contain God. Thus the only way that we can deal with God is not through the material world, but through a spiritual, immaterial world. Fortunately, as humans, we are made of a body and a soul. This implies that we exist on two planes. Our bodies draw us downwards towards the earth and connect us to the earth. Our spirits draw draw us upward and connect us to God. Thus, in order to relate to God, our spirits must transcend or leave our bodies and ascend above this world in order to meet God where he lives. How does this take place? Often it is said to take place through pure meditation or contemplative prayer by which the mind almost becomes detached from the body. And how do we know when we have achieved such a state of enlightenment? It is not the other way around. It is not that we are to find a way of rising up and transcending our bodies and this physical creation in order to meet God where he is, somewhere in heaven. The second assumption that thus lies behind this is what the physical world, and with it our bodies, is an impediment to a truly spiritual life. Whereas the problem is not the material world, but our misuse of it. But the Bible speaks to the contrary. Our bodies in this physical creation are not an impediment to life with God. They are, in fact, the very vehicles for God's presence and activity. The universe cannot contain God, and yet God is present in the petals of the smallest flower. But this picture that I have just painted is far, far from the picture that the scriptures paint of our God, much less the picture we get of Christ. Instead, Scripture portrays our God as very much a down-to-earth God, a God who gets his hands dirty in the work of everyday life. Think about this. What is the direction of the relationship between God and us through the Bible? Who is it that takes the initiative? Who comes to whom? It is fair to say that the direction of the movement all through the Bible is where God comes down from the heavens to us. To meet us where we are. And where are we? Well, we're here on earth. He meets us here on earth where we can apprehend him in our bodies. But what are we? We are enlivened bodies, or more specifically, spirit-enlivened bodies. Bodies given life by the breath of God. And so God meets us in his creation and through his creation. So consider then how on the sixth day, God came down to earth and dwelled in the Garden of Eden. There we hear how God would meet Adam and Eve in the garden, and then a most wonderful detail, in the cool of the day. Perhaps either early in the morning or late in the afternoon or early evening. God came, to, God came down to them on earth to spend time with them in the garden. And that sets the pattern that we see throughout the entire Bible. God comes down to earth and meets Moses in a burning bush. God comes down to Mount Sinai. God comes down in a pillar of of cloud and a pillar of fire. And of course, most decisively, most definitively, God comes down and meets us in the visible flesh and blood body of Jesus Christ. 
God is this man Jesus, and this man Jesus is God himself. And following the ascension of Jesus, the Spirit comes down upon the disciples and into our hearts. And on the last day, Jesus will come down to rule on earth forever. So you see that the story is never one of ascent, where we have to rise up above our bodies in this physical world to some spiritual and ethereal plane and look around for God. No, instead, we encounter God on earth, within our physical bodies. And now, soon, within our mouths in the Lord's Supper. And so we are embodied creatures. God meets us where we are in our bodies. And we encounter God in our bodies and through our bodies. It is worth mentioning at this point that in the resurrection, it is our bodies that we are raised. So that we might see Jesus face to face. Hear his voice. Touch his wounds, just as Thomas did. As Job puts it in his great statement. I know that my Redeemer lives. And with my eyes, I shall see him. So tonight, we commemorate Jesus' institution of the Lord's Supper. It is the night before he dies. It is the night before he goes to his death on the cross. He will be leaving his disciples, but he will not leave them alone. And so he institutes the supper as something of a last will and testament. It is a last will and testament like no other. For in it, Jesus bequeathed to the disciples the entire history of Israel up to this moment. He bequeathed to them a, a covenant, a promise, sealed by the blood of countless sacrifices that all pointed to Jesus. But this is a new covenant. Whereas the covenant in the Old Testament was sealed by the blood of sacrificial animals, this one is sealed by the blood of the Son of God. And whereas the covenant was constantly renewed with a repetition of sacrifices, this covenant is sealed once for all with the blood of the perfect Lamb of God. And just as the old covenant gathered God's people into a nation, this covenant unites God's people in the very body of Jesus. For you see, as the body and blood of Jesus goes into each of us, what is that we then share in common? Well, the body and blood of Jesus. This is not only, this, thus it not only unites us to Jesus and all of his blessings, but it binds us together in one body. That's why we call it communion. This is what fellowship is. This is what it means. We share in the common body and blood of Jesus. And what is the covenant? The covenant is that the creator will be our God, our gracious father. For in this covenant, the forgiveness of sins is promised and sealed to us. God comes and makes this promise to us. He puts the promise into our hearts by putting it into our mouths. It is interesting that people have no difficulty at all thinking that our spirits can disconnect from our bodies and rise above them to meet God in heaven. But they have great difficulty in accepting that the Son of God not only comes to us in a human body, but also now comes to us in his body and blood. Such views share a lack of confidence in the word of God, and the word of God to accomplish what he says that it will. So we now come full circle, back to the words that are the main thing in the sacrament. 
That's why in the 16th century, in the formula of Concord, the authors ask, who speaks these words? Jesus Christ, who is the almighty and powerful creator and Lord. He who speaks these words is the very same one who uttered a word, and entire galaxies with hundreds of millions of stars came into existence. And that same word that created you and me and everything that we perceive in this world now brings the body and blood of Jesus to us in, with, and under the bread and wine. Remember, God's word does what it says. And those words that Jesus first spoke in the upper room continue to be effective to this day when Jesus invites us to this feast. In our day, when a person writes their last will and testament, they specify which of their goods and treasures they will give to those whom they leave behind. They did so in the 16th century as well. But when they did, they did not only include their physical possessions, but their spiritual treasures. They may do so by means of a creed or confession or faith. In other words, this is the faith that I wish to bequeath to my loved ones, my family, and friends. And isn't that interesting? What a great idea. But before the 16th century, going back to the 1st century, look what we have here. Here in the Lord's Supper, Jesus bequeaths all that he has to give us, namely his body and his blood. The very body and blood by which our salvation is accomplished in death and in life, the resurrection, and with it, he guarantees to us in advance a place at the banquet to end all banquets, the new creation, a feast of fellowship and of merriment that even now God is preparing for us. Amen. So now please turn in your hymnals to page 326 and 327. And we will recite together the, the, I will ask the questions and you will give the answers. The first two questions, what is the sacrament of the altar and where is this written? That's on page 326. What is the sacrament of the altar? Where is this written? Please rise for prayer.
Let us pray for the whole people of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. The church, both clergy and laity, that the Holy Spirit moves us all to greater devotion in our thoughts, words, and actions. Let us pray to the Lord. For the nations, that God in heaven would raise up leaders endowed with compassion, mercy, and a sense of true justice, that peace and harmony may prevail within and beyond their borders. Let us pray to the Lord. For all who do not know the love of God in Christ, who still languish in their sins and have no hope, that God would use us to spread the news of his gracious pardon through the sacrifice of Christ our King. Let us pray to the Lord. For all who struggle with illness of body or mind, addictions, poverty, broken relationships, injustice, or oppression, that we might be instruments of your mercy, and that our Heavenly Father would visit and relieve them in his mercy. Let us pray to the Lord. Into your hands, eternal God, we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy through, for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. At this time, we will collect our tithes and offerings. Now would be a good time to fill out that red sign-in book that is in the pew on the aisle side. We will also be having a special music presentation as well. Catherine James and Carol Millsap will present a song, Come Walk With Me.
Please rise as we go to our Lord in prayer. Let us pray for the whole people of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. We've done this already. We will continue with the confession and absolution. As we are about to receive the Holy Supper of our anointed prophet, priest, and king, the Lord Jesus Christ, it is proper that we examine ourselves. The Ten Commandments, the moral code of the kingdom, reveal to us the gravity of our sin, for they call us to love God and with our whole being and our neighbors as ourselves. You shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet. The Lord's Supper was instituted for the comfort of those who are troubled by their sins. Our prophet, priest, and king has paid for our sins. In the stead and by the command of our Lord Jesus Christ, I therefore forgive you all of your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, As Jesus entered Jerusalem, the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Blessed are you, Lord our God, for you have not remained apart from your people, communing with the select few atop a holy mountain. In this sacrament, your Son comes to us with his body and blood for us to eat and to drink. He gives himself to us whole and entire that we might give ourselves to our neighbor whole and entire. Gathering in his name, we pray that your Holy Spirit will strengthen our faith, thereby so that we may remain faithful to death and receive the crown of everlasting life. To you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we all glory in your church, both now and evermore.
Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also we took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Grant us peace. Grant us peace. Amen. Please be seated.
fellow members of the, of the one body of Christ, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us pray. We give thanks to you, Almighty God, that you have refreshed us through this salutary gift. Give it the blood of your Son. Give it and shed for the remission of our sins. We ask that it strengthen our faith so that it may remain constant throughout time until we join the saints and angels to praise him for his innocent suffering and death. We pray that as we are one body and one loaf, we may bear each other's burdens and live lives of mercy. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. This time I ask the elders and the multigill who will be assisting me to come forward. Uh, the congregation, please turn to, to Psalm 22 and recite that together. Psalm 22, it's in the front part of your hymn.
It has been our pleasure to bring you this worship service from Trinity Lutheran Church in Freistadt, Missouri. We pray that you have benefited spiritually from this service and invite you to worship with the members of Trinity next Sunday morning at 10 a.m. We also will host a 6.30 a.m. Easter sunrise service. If you are not able to be with us in person, we invite you to listen by means of this podcast on www.frystatradio.com. You may also listen to the broadcast of our regularly scheduled services at 10 a.m. on KKBL FM 95.9 Aurora, Missouri. We commend you now to the loving care of our gracious Heavenly Father. May His love surround you and His mercy be evident to you in all things.